it's hard growing up and loving to read fantasy and reading a story about a character who is in your mind you think this person looks like me and then you see a picture or a movie and they're not us you know that it, it doesn't look like you and that i think that's the part that becomes a little hurtful for our community is that right. this was the one character we could connect with welcome to monster complex i'm will christopher editor of monstercomplex.com if you're a monster fan or a monster hunter then you're in the right place Monster Complex is devoted to monster fiction in all its forms, from books to movies to TV and other media, from Frankenstein to Godzilla, Buffy to X-Files, Ultraman to Hellboy. Stick around for author interviews, lists, special features, and more. As a little girl, urban fantasy author Jessica Cage wondered why there were no black vampires, or werewolves, or fairies in the stories she read. Today, she's an award-winning, best-selling author who could do something about that. Her many books include the Siren series, her post-apocalyptic Jin Rebellion series, the Alpha Werewolf series, High Arc Vampires, and her mythology-based Scorned by the Gods series. Monster Complex recently posted an interview with Ms. Cage about her Jin Rebellion series, but the more time that I spent on her author website, and the more of her books that I checked out, the more questions I had. So rather than keep hounding her with follow-up emails, we hopped on a Zoom call so that I could ask her about every book she has ever written. I had so many follow-up questions after the other interview we did. I had already started sending you emails, and I, and I just realized I had so many follow-up questions that I uh, wanted to go ahead and get a recording. I've never done this with an author before. I'm going to pull up your website, and I just want you to talk me through all of your books is okay. what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's start with Gin Rebellion. Mm -hmm. this, is the, this is the newest one. I mean, this is the one that you have the brand new book, right? We just did the other interview. Yes. Tell me what this series is about and what were your goals? Gin was inspired by the younger version of myself being uh, kind of infatuated with the genie from the story of Aladdin. I always wondered what happened to him after Aladdin was like gone. I mean, he's immortal. He's going to be around for a while. And that started when I was very young. You know, I grew up with VHS Disney, so it's been in my head for a while. Over the course of, you know, however many years, I won't give away my age right now, but I, I just kept wondering about him, like what happens to him? So a few years ago, I decided that I was going to explore that, that idea. And it really was just supposed to be like a little short story about what happens to the genie after Aladdin. But then it turned into his own thing. And he had this, you know, really deep and dark backstory. Um, and then it went into a future apocalyptic earth or post-apocalyptic earth, I should say, um, where we were exploring what the world would look like without a human influence. Okay, so... Um, Jen's story, while we dive into his background and how he came to be what he is, it really explores this new world and the problems that it's still facing. So in modern times, humans find out that magic exists and they decide that they're going to go to war with magic for whatever reason. <laughs> they feel like Earth belongs to us and that's it. We're going to, you know, we're going to take it back. Um, and because, of course, you don't know what you're dealing with when you're talking about, you know, witches and fairies and all this other stuff. Humans lost that war. 
So we're 300 years into the future and the world is now controlled by these supernatural beings. And the book explores how they're still dealing with the same issues that they thought were purely, you know, human problem. You know, there are inequalities in the world that a few of the species are trying to tackle and get, you know, a better life for their people. Jen exists in this world as a neutral party. He's like, I'm here, but I'm minding my business. He thinks that, you know, Natara, who is his wife, died and is, you know, uh, long gone. So he's like, I'm just living my life. I'm immortal, but I don't want to be a part of this. And Mike, who is his his best friend, <laughs> comes to him and says, if you help me help my people and get them out of the position they're in, I'll help you find Natara, who, of course, he thought had died. So that's how Jen gets pulled back into this world. And as they're trying to search for Natara, they unravel this, you know, just string of events that start with a warlock who is trying to cause the second apocalypse. So it's about how he, in his intention to save his wife, is actually saving the world. And then along the story from Jen, it was supposed to just be about Jen, but then all these other characters popped up and this whole new universe of stories were born. And I'm like, well, I have to write them all. I, I can't stop here. And each book, the first four books, or the first five books, give you backstory about our main characters as the current story is progressing. So you're learning how they came to be a part of this group, what events led to them being, you know, tied into this, this, uh, this tapestry, so to speak. And then in the fifth book is when they really do take on the big bad guy. And we, we see how that turns out. Do I understand correctly? The first books then are parallel stories. It sounds like you're almost saying the equivalent is like the Marvel movies. You have solo movies and then you have the team up movies. Daigle's Return is the, is the team up. So the Jen, Natara, Arden and Zariah, and then Rosie, those are the first four. Right. We're seeing this current storyline move forward, but we're exploring how they got here. So if so, Jen focuses primarily on him. Natara talks more about how she's dealing with this. So each one, the title was telling you who, who we're going to learn about, whose backstory and history we're learning about while we're still seeing the main events unfold. Genesis is a shorter story, but it talks about him specifically because he is such a, a, a key figure in the storyline. So Genesis um, so is a person. Yes. Um, okay. Genesis is the original Gen. So while the others were created, Genesis was born the way he is. We find out how he got entangled with this group. And you said this is all set way in the future. So what genre do you call this? It's dystopian, post-apocalyptic. Those are the two feel, uh, genres that it falls underneath. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is dystopian because it talks about how humans, you know, come out of this, which is not great. They're not really a part of the story. <laughs> um, right. It's a new world for them. And it's like some areas you can survive really well. Other areas is like, no, don't go there. <laughs> but the story and I, the, the thing I love about this is that it's not human focused. It's not, you know, a, a normal person coming to save the day for all these magical beings who are clearly more powerful and more capable of doing the job. It's really just, this is your new world, and let's fix it, and it's focusing on them. Uh, Daigle's Return is the, the brand new one. Is that, yes. is that the end of it, or, or 
how how many do you plan to do in this series? There are three more coming for this series for the main storyline, but then there will be a few novellas that focus on some of the minor characters that I've been getting requests for. (laughs) So the readers are like, we need to know more about these characters. And if I feel the inspiration, then I I will write the stories. Okay. Now, I mean, the main reason we're talking about this one and had the other interview is this is the brand new thing. Is this series like your main this is your thing to be known for, or is it just, this is what's current? Yeah, this is what's current. I think what I, what I'm known for is, uh, the siren series. Okay. Um, that is the series that I'm known for. That is the series that I guess kind of put me on the map as an author and gained me my biggest readership. And that came, the first book came out in 2015 and it's still like, it's still one of the best selling titles that I have. Okay. Well, okay, before we jump over to Sirens then, is there anything else that you want to say or that I should know about or that listeners should know about um, Gin Rebellion? Just that it focuses on some real uh, social issues that I think are very present in, in the world we're living in now. And I think that's why a lot of the readers connect with the story because it talks about learning about the people about around you and not being afraid to step outside of your bubble and admit that, you know, things need to be changed. And I think that right now, that is a message that people are really connecting with. And when I wrote it, that wasn't why I wrote it, but it's good to to hear from readers that, you know, they they're happy to see that message in the story. So sirens. Yes. Okay. My first question is, is it a mermaid story? It's not really a mermaid story. <laughs> All right. So the the book is about Serenata. Um, she is the daughter of a warlock and a siren. So she's a hybrid. Right. Um, and both sides of her family tree think that she is too powerful to exist. So they're all out to get her. When it becomes revealed to her, she's also told, like, you have to go through this test to earn your full power in order to protect yourself. So this is her journey dealing with new powers and men in her face and just a bunch of stuff, family drama. (laughs) It's all coming at her from every direction. I I like to say that my stories are more of personal growth and change than it is about the actual like supernatural stuff like it's happening, but we're really focused on the, the development of the character themselves. The thing that's locking up my brain right now is I, when I was posting, like I posted these books on the site on mantracomplex.com mm-hmm. and because I thought I, there was, I thought there was something in one of the Amazon descriptions that said the word mermaid. I actually made a list of mermaid series to include your book in that series. So is it, is it not appropriate to include a list of mermaid books? No, I mean she's physically a mermaid. Yeah, okay. they are mermaid. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> I just didn't want you to think like the whole story takes place like under the ocean or anything like that. Okay. Um, she shifts back and forth from being on land and being underwater. One thing I'm trying to do on this site is lists of different books that are similar, different series that are similar. So I have a list of I think I found 16 mermaid series, which mm-hmm. frankly I thought was more than I expected. So I could put your series as one of those. Is there some other kind of list that this would fit on that you're thinking, okay, people also write books that are about whatever this facet of this series is. Is there something else 
I think mermaid is a good fit for it. There's a lot of like uh, witchcraft in it. Right. Because that's half of her parentage. So we, we deal with the covens directly. Oh, okay. Um, we see a lot of that in the story, especially in the last book. But I think those are the two main parts of it, witches and sirens. I mean, there are other elements, but they're not big enough for me to say, you know, because there are vampires and where there's shifters and, you know, all types of stuff. But those are the two biggest parts of it. Yeah. Okay. And some of what we're talking about in terms of finding authors, finding series, I'm new to finding this stuff. I'm guessing that if I make a witch list, that's going to be a pretty big list, right? I mean, there's like yeah. lots and lots and lots of series that are witch yeah. series. If you want to narrow it down, you can, you can do like, for mine specifically, like the New Orleans Coven. So this was a war that happened specifically between the New Orleans Covens and then Sirens. So that would be a way to narrow it down. I know there are a, a handful of books that I know of that are specifically for like New Orleans Covens. That, you know, really? Wanna, yeah. Because that sounds mm -hmm. almost too specific. I'm surprised to hear there would be others. Yeah. I, well, it's not like that's the location of the book or that's, you know what I mean? Like that's right. where they're focusing their story. I wouldn't say it specifically like, oh, we're dealing with their actual magic. I don't think anyone is brave enough that I know of. <laughs> right. To really go into it that deeply, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and then now looking at the, the Siren series, you have, and I think this is three books and then like a, a novella or something, right? Right. Is that the complete story or are you going to come back to this? When I wrote Sirens in uh, two or three years ago, that was the complete story, but there will be um, two more titles releasing for the series um, next year. What inspired this series? What was it that um, made you want to write a series that included these elements? I had dreams about a siren, about this red-haired underwater being, and I continuously had these dreams for a while, and I would just kind of brush them off. But then I was at the um, Printer's, Printer's Row event here in um, Chicago and chatting with some other independent authors, and we were talking about how there weren't enough you know, mermaid stories that featured, you know, characters of color. And I was thinking like, yeah, there's, there's not. And then that same night I had the dream again, but this time it came through with more power and more focus. And I saw her and I heard her name in my head. And so I woke up and I started writing the book. And that's how most of my stories come to me. I really feel like my stories are energy, like anything else that exists in the universe is energy. And you just have to grab hold of it. And if you don't, it, it, it slips away and it goes somewhere else, you know. So I grabbed hold of it. And Serenata has been like an amazing experience for me overall. But I really wanted to capture just the power that can exist, that untapped energy. It was That was the theme, like with her being a hybrid of two very... Um, and I love creating a mixture of things you'll see like... For readers who read my stuff, they'll find that there are hybrids in pretty much every storyline. So I like playing with the idea, like, what happened if these two beings came together? Um, what would that create? So exploring those facets of her of her character and building her along the way was was just an amazing experience, and it, it paid off because, like I said, it's it's still to to date my my best selling title. Okay. So what I I don't remember if we said what genre would you call this series? This one would be uh, urban fantasy because okay. it is modern times. So it's, well, when I wrote it, it was 2015. So it was written in, you know, current times. Yeah. And then also, I'm, I'm curious, part of what you just said was, uh, it sounded like you said there weren't many 
mermaid stories with people of color. When I made my list, you were the only one that I found. Who else writes about mermaids that are people of color? Um, there are a few. I can't call them. I can okay. send you a, a list. Uh, but there are a few. I'm okay. barely bad with names that, you know, right so I just, top of my head. I just didn't Google hard enough. Yeah, no. There are, so the thing about finding them um, specifically with characters of color, it's a little difficult. Like, you have to be in specific groups. So there are some um, groups on Facebook that are dedicated to, you know, POC authors who are writing these stories now, um, which I'm very excited about for, because for a long time I was out there the same way, like, where are we, you know? Right. Um, but the groups exist now, and I think that's probably the only reason I know. Um, there are predominantly indie authors that are doing this now, which is great. So, yeah, I can get a couple names and shoot them over to you. Right off the top of my head, I can't – I'm really terrible with names like that, so. Okay. And this ends up in danger of us going off on a tangent, but since you sort of brought it up, I am curious. There, there was an article I came across, and this is somebody I, I do plan on tracking down and interviewing for the podcast, and she was talking about how uh, white urban fantasy is and how they, they're set in cities, but like it's a city, but there's only white people. What's, what's up with that? And my question is, as, as an author myself, who wants to have diver, diverse characters, Isaac Asimov years ago said, don't describe your characters at all, because then people can imagine them however. So now I'm like, what I'm wondering is, when we talk about whether or not characters are diverse or white or whatever, how much is this about this is what they look like on the cover and how much of it is you're, you're com coming right out in the text and saying this is their culture or this is their, you know, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I don't think I've ever come out right in the text and said this is an African-American male who does this, that, that. I write with the intention of portraying the people that I see every day in my life. I, I am born and raised, you know, in Chicago, right. still my hometown. I mean, I'm still here. I write it as I see it. I don't, I don't cut out any, you know, anybody specifically. Right. But I wanted to be very clear when I wrote these books without throwing it in your face that this is what I'm writing, right. that I'm representing the urban community as I grew up in it. It's all shades, color, people, sizes, just everything is, is and that's the beauty of, especially about growing up in Chicago, like it's so diverse. So it was hard, you know, it's hard growing up and loving to read fantasy and reading a story who, uh, about a character who was described in your mind, you think this person looks like me and then you see a picture or a movie and they're not us, you know, it, it doesn't look like you. And that, I think that's the part that becomes a little hurtful for our community is like, right. this was the one character we could connect with. And then the story gets made and they no longer look how they were in our head. So while I don't, you know, throw out like this African-American, you know, <laughs> fantasy queen, whatever, right. I am very right. intentional with representing and saying in my own, um, like on my website and in my material, my marketing and on the covers by putting those faces that say, I am representing you like 100%. Right. In the text right. itself, I don't do that because I don't want the reader to be feeling like they're getting smacked upside the head every other page with like, this is African-American or, you know, this is an Indian woman. She's powerful. She's strong. Like, that's not necessary for a good story. You know, like you said, you don't have to give all of that. But to come out as the author 
on my platform and with my covers and say, I am representing you, I think that is what um, readers are looking for. Okay. Before we move on to a new series, uh, same question then for um, Jen Rebellion, because I don't think I thought of a list to include Jen Rebellion in. Is, mm-hmm. what, would a li- what would a good list be where, because uh, I, and maybe you already know what I mean, but to me a list is like when you're at a store and there's an end cap and there's a bunch of books that are similar, like if you like this, you like this. What is a list I can make that Gin Rebellion would fit in? So Gin Rebellion has been listed, the top three is the Afrofuturism. Okay. The Afrofantasy, uh, you know, that, that's the list that has been on a couple times now dystopian but that's a big list that uh, so many is so broad so i think that's why um afrofuturistic and afro fantasy became a thing to kind of narrow the the bracket a little bit right um and then uh, again post-apocalyptic but again that's really a broad spectrum when you're thinking in terms of that it is fantasy but i don't list it as pure fantasy because when people think of fantasy think they think high fantasy right that's not right <laughs> okay yeah because because yeah that is in fact that is the word I used in the other the interview that you did before. I said fantasy, so I probably should change that. And I guess I could do post-apocalyptic. I don't have to put everything that exists in the list. I could just say, here are 13, and yours is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Okay, let's talk about Scorned by the Gods, because one of these is also pretty recent, right? Yeah, the Dada of Medusa came out this year. So what's this series about? The Scorned by the God series is about women who are taking revenge on Greek gods, <laughs> to put it simply. Um, it starts with Asa. She fell in love with the god of war, Ares, and he decided at some point in time that he didn't want to be with her anymore, but he also didn't want her to be with anybody else. Okay, because when he said, I'm done, I'm not, you know, this can't happen, she said, All right, well, if you're leaving, don't come back. And he didn't like that answer. So he had her cursed and turned into the Sphinx, which everyone knows is the, you know, the monster that guards the city of Thebes. Kind of like with Jen, I always wonder, like, what about the Sphinx? Like, there has to be more than this, like, five-paragraph excerpt that I found, you know, while researching. Like, what else is there? So the story is about how she became the Sphinx and then how she figured out how to break that curse and spent centuries building this weapon because after the gods fell from power, she was like, okay, I know they're coming back. You know, they're not gone for good. Eventually they're going to come back. So she spends this time building her own strength and then creating a weapon that is strong enough to actually kill a god. So when the gods start to return to earth, she's waiting for Ares, basically. She's like, when he gets here, I'm taking him down. (laughs) So it's about how she gets her revenge on the god of war. And then in book two, we meet the daughter of Medusa. Her name is Delilah. She is completely made up. I did not, she doesn't exist in any mythology. Right. But the story of Medusa was always so, so um, troubling to me <laughs> because, you know, she fell in love and she, you know, she was, you know, messing around with Poseidon. Poseidon does what he does and she gets into trouble for it. She's punished for it and her life is ruined. So in this story, Delilah is the, is the daughter that she had with Poseidon that they didn't know about, right? So when Medusa is first turned, she knows she's pregnant, but she doesn't say anything. She has this child. Um, and then she, she, when she goes into labor, she blindfolds herself, has the child, and then hands the baby off to a witch 
who then takes her into her own care. So after the gods come back, we, we end with the Sphinx. The gods are back and Medusa is coming back. Uh, or I should say Delilah is coming back now to then um, exact revenge for her mother that she never got to do because by the time she was old enough to know about what happened to her mother, the gods were gone. So now you have all these people who are, or all these women, I should say, who are coming back for revenge because throughout history, they've just been treated so poorly um, by these gods. And then the the next book to the series will actually follow the three fates um, who are reborn as triplets on earth. So it's again, the, the women coming for their revenge. And what I love about this series is that it focuses on women. There aren't men really doing much in the storyline. It's about women finding their strength. And that's, it was, it was good to kind of return to my home base of writing. Cause that's why I started to really write was because I love fantasy. I love paranormal. I love it. But I was so tired of seeing the men coming in and swooping and saving a day. And I'm like, I was raised by a single mother and I had my grandmother in the home with us and they were these two powerful women and they did not have men coming in to fix stuff like at all. So when I read these stories, there was a disconnect. So I wanted to start writing about women who are like the men are there and they're kind of supportive, but they're not really doing anything. <laughs> you know, they're kind of passengers because it's like we don't grow. We don't wake up superwoman, but we do we do build to that. However, in this story, we're, we're already at the superwoman level and they're just ready to start, you know, kicking butt and taking names. So are these stories connected or are they just in the same world? Oh, uh, they are connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to read them in order. It starts with the, the Sphinx, then on to Medusa, and then the next one will be the Fates. Okay. And is the plan to end with three or how long do you see this series going? Oh, it, it will end with three, yes. Okay. What genre do you call this? This is urban fantasy. It is modern times. The interesting thing about my books, uh, you mentioned Marvel earlier. All of my books connect in some way. <laughs> okay. Events or key characters that cross over. So the, the war or the battle that happens at the end of the Sphinx is actually what starts the war that caused the apocalypse for the Gen Rebellion series. So, yeah, and it's fun to leave these little Easter eggs all throughout the the stories because I have my readers coming back like, hold up, uh uh-uh, did this and this. And I'm like, you guys are connecting the dots. Like, that's how I know you're my people. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, what what list would I make that would include Scorned by the Gods? It would either be urban fantasy or mythology urban mythology i think that's what they were calling it at the time okay Um, because it's taking the mythos which i had to do extensive research and consult with people because people are very particular about the mythology like you cannot mess anything up so i had like my friends who have like studied it it, you got to read this and make sure i'm not messing up timelines because i'm kind of blending my story into this it's in the mythology and then the urban fantasy genres. Yeah. Okay. So how much of you creating a new character for Medusa was you trying to avoid the thing you just described where people are like, wait, that's not how the mythology goes. You're like, well, if I make a new person, they can't say that. Yeah. So when I, when I wrote the Sphinx, I was purely from the thought of wanting to explore that character specifically 
But when I finished it, my best friend was like, oh my God, I love this. I always wanted a story for Medusa. And when she said that, I was like, I don't really want, I mean, I, I think Medusa's story has been done a lot. But then a few days later, I was like, but what if, you know? So my best friend is the one who actually inspired the, the story of Delilah because okay. I was considering how we avenge Medusa, basically. You know, I always felt she was done wrong because for the longest time, I didn't know the truth, like the true story of Medusa. And when I finally read it, I was just like, wait, what happened to her? Right. <laughs> I was like, she was basically like taken advantage of and then punished for it? That's not cool. So when my friend said that, it started to spark the idea for like, how do, how do I bring Medusa? Because I, again, I can't mess with the fact that Medusa's head got chopped off so many years ago to bring her back. So how do I avenge her and keep it in this storyline? And that's where Delilah came from. Okay. Let's talk about high arc vampires. There was something in the description that made me wonder if these are vampire, are these traditional vampires or are they something else? They are not traditional vampires. In my series, they are actually aliens who were escaping a darkness in their world. And their queen opened a portal, if you want to call it that, um, to kind of splice the energy of, of space and time. And they found themselves on Earth. And they actually had to kind of modify their appearance um, with the use of her magic so that they could blend in a little bit more with society on Earth. Do, but do they, do they behave like vampires now that they're on Earth? So the, the thing about my vampires is that they cannot drink directly from a human because of the hormones in the skin and, you know, all of that. So they, have, they use taps. So they do use our life source, but they tap, they don't drink directly. If they do drink directly, the hormones that exist in our, you know, they, if they, it's not filtered properly, it turns them kind of mad, kind of crazy, okay. where they become these feral type beings where they're just monsters and they're, you know, they're driven by their hunger. So they lose, so to speak, that humanity of themselves. They, they become something else. I have a big list of vampire series. I had added this. Is it wrong to have added this to my big list of vampire series? No, I mean, they are vampires. Okay. They, they can change people. They drink blood. They just have to do it a little bit differently. <laughs> so they're aliens, but they're on Earth. Is, it present, is this urban fantasy? Is it present day? It is present day, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Given the, the alien component, what, um, I mean, is it, what, I, guess a, I guess a list would be alien invasion stories yeah you could call it that um they are undercover living here it's kind of like the host almost where they blend in we don't really know they're here until it's too late i'm trying to remember the timeline for your books these are older books right yeah so this is actually my first series okay yeah, so the the first book came out in 2010 what inspired this way to approach vampires so <laughs> i always thought that vampires being some uh, mutation of humans was wrong. It just didn't feel right. And this, this is from me being like a little girl watching these movies with my mom. And that's where I got my inspiration for fantasy and paranormal. Because my mom is just like, she is into all of that. But she's into like the movies and, you know. But I would watch it like, this just doesn't feel right that some human got this, you know, this ability. And now we're, you know, we just changed that way. And then my mom was always like into alien movies as well. 
which is why those two blend. I'm like, so what happens? And this is me at like 10 <laughs> wondering what, what, what if uh, vampires were actually just aliens and they just kind of, you know, blended in with earth. So that story has just kind of like with Jen, it's been with me for a while. I was inspired to write it when I was pregnant. Um, I was on bed rest and I was like, well, how am I going to inspire my child to be this great person and to follow his dreams and, go for everything that he wants in life when I have all these stories and you know passions that I am not myself exploring so I started writing the story it was in my brain at the time and I could this was like around the time when Twilight was really big so I had started thinking a lot about my vampire idea again um and then I was pregnant and I was like you know what I'm gonna do this and it was something about seeing people um do something different with vampires and not be completely, you know, be over the head about it. Of of course, everyone talks about, oh, vampires don't sparkle, but I mean, whatever, it was still a success. So it was like, if if someone else can, you know, give their brand new take on things and it be accepted, then maybe mine will be accepted as well. And this, of course, not only with that one, but there's another series, The Glass House Vampires. Alchemy is a really big part of it. So those two series was just like, okay, I can do something different with this. I can, it gave me the confidence to write it and to let the world see it. So you said you were on bed breast, which I'm, when I hear that phrase, it's, I'm wondering how, how difficult was it to physically write? What was your physical production process? My first book was written mostly in a notebook. I couldn't really sit at a desk for too much. Right. Um, so it was mostly me with a pen and paper laying on my side and writing. I still have the notebook actually um, on my desk here. It's kind of like I keep it with me because it's like this is where it all began. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, it was really a labor of love with both you know my baby and my book at the same time like i still cannot write for too long now because of that process (laughs) i have to this this wrist is all messed up right now i try not to ask a lot of writerly questions but now i'm curious do you do you outline when you uh and and of course that being your first book you probably do things differently today than you did then um Mm -hmm. do you out do you do outlines do you just start writing what where do you fall on that scale if it's a series, my first book is always just a burst of energy and I just write it out and I get it out and then I go back and make it something that other people can understand. And that's just it, my passion books, I should say, because I do sign up for like anthologies and group projects. Those I tend to outline um, so I can stick to their guidelines. But when it's just one of my stories that just hit me naturally, that burst of energy, mm-hmm. I'm a pantser all day long. But if I get into, oh, this is going to be a series, then I start to create like my series Bible and try to outline it a little bit. But I try not to box myself in too much with outlines because I feel like I lose touch with the characters. I always tell people, I in my mind, I'm walking around behind these people, like just kind of, you know, writing down what they're doing. I'm, you know, I'm that creepy guy in the corner, like, oh, what she say? <laughs> oh, you know, and that's how I write. So when I try to outline and tell them what to do, then they all go away. (laughs) So I have to kind of, you know, just sit and play my role in this. So now we're at the Alpha series. This is a werewolf series, right? Yes. And um, I see shirtless men. I tend to avoid putting books on my site that are a lot of shirtless men. 
Uh-huh. So my question is, is, so is this paranormal? Is this, is this a sexy book? What, what is going on? It is paranormal. Um, it is sexy. <laughs> this, so when I first wrote this series, the men that were on the cover were people, I, I knew them. The guy on the second book, I still know him. Um, he's, the, he's the original model, but we had to change out the first cover model. But they were, they inspired the story, so I put them on the cover. <laughs> okay. I was at a book signing in Arkansas when I met them, and they were fitness models because the book signings back in the day, they used to have the cover models come out and you could like sign up, you know, and work with them and sign on with them. And I was very like, I'm not paying no cover model. You know, I was very anti all of that. But then I saw these two gentlemen at this event and I went back to my hotel room and I wrote 30% of the first book. Wow. So I was like, well, now they have to be on the cover. I <laughs> know <laughs> there's no way I can't put him on the cover at this point. But a couple years ago, I did rebrand the series because I, I rebranded all of my books, but I wasn't able to get newer or, or workable um, photos of the original guy for the first cover. But luckily, I'm still in contact with the guy that's on the second cover, and we were able to work something out. So is that the inspiration for the series was I met these guys, and that literally is why the series exists? Yes. I had no intention of writing a werewolf story at that time. I met these two gentlemen at this event and went back to my hotel room and started writing about werewolves. Like, I don't, it just happened that way. I would, I really wish I could be like, I was writing this story and I just thought (laughs) like, no, it's completely 100% inspired by those two guys. (laughs) Is, so is there anything about your take on werewolves where you, you did any kind of spin to make it your own? Not with this one. Um, They're, they're pretty standard werewolves. I do have a couple other werewolves that are my own this they were from texas and these are texas pack of alf like wolf like it's completely <laughs> it's okay. completely them and i was like and i contacted them the next day the event was still happening i found them and i was like i don't know what we have to do to make this happen but <laughs> i don't feel right not having you guys on this cover because hey. it's completely you like i cannot have you on there okay that's hilarious so they have, I see three books. Is this the end of, is this the whole series? That is the whole series. My mother yells at me constantly because she wants there to be more to the series. I was like, I'm sorry. That's it. It's done. I'm not, I don't have any plans to return to it at all. And no, it want- could be like the Sirens, the Sirens series. Maybe three years from now, I'll find some, some more stories for it. Is, is your mom asking for more stories or just more covers of shirtless men? No, um, she actually would prefer that I didn't have the covers of shirtless men because she likes to read them at work. So, <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to get a Kindle, but I, I just, I don't, I, I have to hide it. She's like, I'm wrapping paper around the book so my coworkers don't see what I'm reading. Right. It's just so scandalous. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's the cover. <laughs> this is completely the, my favorite part of the conversation so far. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And okay, we talked a little bit about Anu because Anu at this point is standalone, but you said you, you, you have an idea or you're working on a follow-up. Yeah, so Anu was always supposed to be a series, but when it first released, it just didn't, it didn't hit the way I thought it should have. And I was, that's when I was shifting my mindset to be more business-driven than just passion-driven. And I'm like, does it really make sense to put more into this at this point? 
Um, and that's when I started trying to rebrand and refocus my energies to make my, you know, off the career more successful. Right. And it was just my decision at the time, like, okay, well, it's not getting the love that I wanted. So let's just kind of shelf it. But last year, early last year, I don't know what happened in the universe, but people started finding this book and emailing me and messaging me on Facebook and Instagram, like, where's the rest of the story? And I'm like, well, when I first wrote it, <laughs> nobody was reading it, no matter how much, no matter how hard I pushed it, like it wasn't getting the love. But now it is. And I'm like, okay, I'm excited. And I've already started back with finishing up the second book to the series. This will be a um, four book series. And I'm, I'm a little nervous because I think I'm going to have to rebrand the first cover because I can't find the designer. She's like ghosted. You know, she's not online anymore. So like, and I love the cover. I don't want to change it, but I might have to. So that that'll be a little disappointing. It's interesting what you said about being business minded. So it's not, so your shift is from, it's not write the book and then figure out how to sell it. Are you telling me that you started moving in the direction of, I'm going to write toward a, like you have the goal before you write it? What, what, is hap- what is happening there? What is the process? I don't write to market. I cannot. I still write for passion, but I'm paying more attention to the readers and to like, so I'll write the story. And if I don't think the market is ready for it, or if it's, it'll just sit there for a little bit. But now that I have built my brand and I have dedicated readers, I know that if I write a passion project and put it out, they'll read it. They'll pick it up. At the time that this one came out, though, I didn't have that. You know, I was still trying to establish myself a little bit. Okay. So it kind of it kind of messed up the flow with that book. But now that I have dedicated readers and, you know, they call, I, it's so weird to call people fans. But right. now that I have fans of my work, I feel a little bit more comfortable with, with uh, going after my passion projects and actually putting them out. Because when I when I release a passion project, it's just for that because I don't want to lose that. I write because this is what I love to do. So I don't want to write just to make money because then it takes away, you know, my personal enjoyment. But I do know that I need to make money from this in order to continue to afford to do it. Right. So I am more mindful of the market and I just understand what's happening in the genres that I am writing in currently so that I can kind of put my energy more towards the projects that fit what's happening now. But as we're talking, then you, there was something you said that suddenly made me think, oh, and in a way, a passion project could be almost like a TV pilot. You do the first book, and then you see if people care, but you're, you're, not in, you're not committed to it as a series until the pilot gets picked up, so to Correct. speak. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is interesting. It's Because it's, um, I don't know that I've seen this story anywhere else where it's a... Uh, it's, um, it's about adoption, but the two families are, it's a vampire, a werewolf being raised by vampires, right? Correct, yeah. Where, so where did that come from? I honestly can't tell you where that one came from. It was just, it's kind of, it hit me kind of like with um, Serenata's story. Um, oh. Again, I like playing with the, the idea of blending two worlds together, um, hybrid. And I think uh, classic hybrid you'll probably see it in a couple stories as a vampire and a werewolf, okay? So it's not a brand new idea. It's not a new concept. But I thought that those two things coming together would be catastrophic. <laughs> it wouldn't be this, you know, this thing that people would be happy about. And that's what happens in this story. Ken, um, Kendra is a werewolf who is a hybrid. And 
her father or her adopted father knows this about her, but no one else does. And that's exactly why he had, he adopted her or he didn't actually like legit. It wasn't a legal adoption, but he took her in and he suppressed this. He had her taking a, um, a solution daily that suppressed that side of herself. But she comes of age and she decides, I want to know about my family, about my people. I don't know enough about where I'm from. And when she goes and search to figure out what happened to her birth parents, she finds out through a series of events that she is a hybrid. When she finds out, the world finds out. It's not like, oh, someone told her and she gets to go home. It's like high alert. The entire world knows now. Right. But the the hybrid or the birth of the hybrid, the coming of the hybrid is a sign of the end of the world. Okay. So her birth parents Pat, are, are no longer in the picture. Her adoptive vampire father wants to use her as a weapon. And now she's on the run um, with one vampire who she trusts, which is her brother or her adoptive brother. And then a werewolf that comes into the picture along the storyline. And they're on the run just trying to figure out how do we protect her from all these people who want to kill her. Uh, and right. it's about while they're helping her, she is, she figures out that she's this total like powerful like badass girl, you know what I mean? So right, right. Uh, <laughs> I loved Kendra's story. Like I, oh my God, everything about it just was amazing to me. So it was a little bit heartbreaking that no one else was like picking it up and running with it and just like loving it and eating it up. So I'm excited. Like it, it's great to be back to her story because it's still very fresh with me. Like it's still very like in my head. So when I started getting emails and questions about her story, I was like, what? Okay, let's do this. I can do this now. I'm, like, I'm excited, yeah. And this would be urban fantasy? It's urban fantasy, but it's not. It's like modern times, but not really in a, a real place. <laughs> it's okay. a made-up location, so yeah. What would I call it? Paran- it's fantasy and paranormal. I don't know if it's urban because it's not the, the real world. I okay. think more urban titles are, are fit in like cities that you can imagine right. or you can visit. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So is it fair? Because I, I, in the course of putting your books on the site and creating lists to put your books on, um, I created a list of werewolf series. I think I included the shirtless man in that list. Okay. <laughs> uh, is it fair to put this series and, and is the series what is the name of the series is a new the series or a hybrid no, um the hybrid still is the series the series hybrid. okay is mm-hmm. this is this is it fair to put it in the werewolf list oh yeah absolutely okay yeah. would this go on a vampire list since she's being raised by vampires yeah and there i mean there are a lot of vampires like um two of our main characters are vampires so okay yeah all right and what's the timeline on the the because because you, you're already working on the next book now right or are you just playing yeah. so it was actually my hope to get it out this year but with covid and then my personal injury um i, I had to slow down <laughs> right my doctor was like pace yourself so um i'm hoping to finish it and get it out um april of next year that's my tentative date to actually release the the next one to her series okay well great uh, I've already had you on for almost an hour. Uh, did you want to say something about the fire within? It's about Phoenix. So that's, oh. you know, birds of fire. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's Nuria is the main character and she is, this is happening in another realm, um, not of earth. So it's, it's, it would be considered high fantasy. It's about her quest to earn her wings. So in this story, 
um, not every phoenix gets their wings, right? Which means if you don't have your wings, you can't leave the realm and explore other universes, right? And that's what she wants. She's like, I want to go and I want to fly across every universe I can possibly reach and learn and see and grow and do everything I can. But because the phoenix is such a commodity and across, like if a phoenix gets trapped, it's like on the black market and it's abused. And, you know, so the, the powers that be in her realm built this barrier around their, their world that doesn't activate. You can't get in or out if you don't have the signature, which comes with the power of your wings. So all of the, the up and coming Phoenix um, people, they have to go through a university program where they have to earn their wings. Um, and Nuria is at the end of her program and she's like, great, I'm about to graduate. There's just one more test that she has to do, which she does not approve of. So the guys have to climb this great mountain. And when they climb this mountain, it's like the toughest thing they'll ever go through because they say that the men have to be strong and enduring and they have to be able to fight and you know protect themselves. The women, however, because of their sexual prowess, have to go through a similar journey, but with claiming and um, taming their inner goddess, okay? So they get a tutor, they're assigned a tutor who helps them to do this. And Nuria is against this. She's like, I don't know why I have to go out here and hook up with some guy and prove that I can control myself in this arena when these boys get to climb this mountain that I climb every other month, you know what I mean? She's like, I didn't climb that mountain 800 times and that's all you have to do. But what she doesn't understand is that when the guys go up that mountain, they are experiencing something completely different than she does. She's just tracking up the side of some mountain, but they're going through mental, physical tests that only is activated by their, you know, by them being a male trying to climb it. Um, so she's assigned a tutor, Carrick, who helps her um, not only understand herself in that that womanly way, but to reign in her power. So there's a lot more that comes with her being a female. Um, when you when you leave the realm, people seduce you and then they trap you because of that. So you have to be able to control that side of you because it's kind of like the siren. Like she's calling people to her and she doesn't even know she's doing it. So it's like you have to get that under control because you're going to call the wrong people and they're going to use it against you. Um, so it's about how she goes through this pro this um, process of earning her wings and then what happens when she actually gets to earth um, and how she's, she's learning why that was an important part of her process. I hear elements that sound very similar to Scorned by the Gods. Is this in any way driven by the same ideas? Is this in any way connected in the larger picture of Scorned by the Gods? No, a, one of the characters in this series does appear in Scorned by the Gods and in the Rebellion series. He's one of my favorite people. He's like everywhere. Um, but their stories um, are not connected directly. Um, her realm comes back up in the Jim Rebellion series. So they're crossing, but they're not directly related. So all your books, you, I mean, you did say this, all your books are connected. They are, yeah. That is, that is very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it wasn't always intentional. I will say that. I did not <laughs> notice it for a very long time. And then readers started pointing out things. And I was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, okay. that's, I didn't know that. <laughs> so now it's something that I'm, I'm having fun with. Yeah. Well, great. I really, really appreciate the time you've given me tonight. Oh, absolutely. This was fun. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of Monster Complex. Become a Monster Complex member. Find out how to join our family at patreon.com slash monstercomplex. Subscribe to our free online magazine at monstercomplex.com. I'm Will Christopher. We'll see you again for the next episode of Monster Complex. Monster Complex.